Here is a sermon message from Somerville Community Baptist Church. To hear more sermons like this, please visit ilovescbc.org. Today we begin a new series called Life, Money, Hope, which we are thinking about our relationship with the money and stuff and related norms to our culture and then trying to see what the Bible has to say about them. And my goal for this series is that it's going to be fun, it is hope-filled, but in the meantime, I can step on your toes, but you're going to still smiling at me when I'm done, all right? And I'm going to do that by sharing with you some of the struggles that I faced with these things. I wrestle with these things. And then I'm counting on the fact that as I share these things with you, you're going to say, you know what, Pastor? I also wrestle with that too. Several years ago in UK, the Royal Bank of Scotland sent an offer for a gold master card to Monty's letter. The card came with a $20,000 credit limit. Quite impressive for the first credit card that he had, particularly when you consider that Monty is a see-chew dog, not a human being. Raymond, his owner, thought about using the card for some of Monty's favorite treats, but reconsidered and recognizing that his dog was not in a position to pay the balance when it came due. I came across another funny story, a story of a father, his daughter's credit card uh, once got stolen when she was attending at college. And he said that once he realized it was stolen, he didn't report it for a few months. And here's the reason, because he noticed that the person who stole his daughter's credit card spent a lot less than his daughter did. These may be funny stories, but it illustrates a sad, a striking truth. We live in a world that encourages us to live beyond our means. We're enticed to have it now and pay for it later, as opposed to saving and being good steward of our God-given resources. We all are caught in these struggles in one way or another. No one is exempt. And I struggle with this too, all right? I struggle with this, my spending habit from time to time. And I also struggle with my desire of getting newer, better, and more stuff. And based upon what I read in the newspaper and what I have been seeing and observing here at the church, I'm sure I am not alone. In fact, quite a few of you are doing that as well. So my hope is that we're going to think about it and talk about our spending habit, and our problem, not judging others. This is not the time for judging others, but this is time for us, you, and think about where you are right now and where you want to be. All right, let's stand as you're able and read the Word of God, which talk about the money and possession. First reading is taken from book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, and verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Second reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The last reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet for faith their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let's pray. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. I entitled today's message, When the American Dream Becomes a Nightmare. In the beginning of our nation, when talking about American Dream, we talked about rope dreams. It refers freedom. As you know from the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights, was the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and freedom of the press. Great example is Martin Luther King Jr. standing on the Lincoln Memorial Park and giving people about this great, greatest speech. I have a dream. But that's not the case anymore. That's not what we mean when we talk about American dream anymore. For most of us, American dream has become the opportunity to pursue more than what we have. If we work hard, we can have whatever that we want. It has to do with the desire for achieving success and satisfying the desire for material possessions. The love of money and the things money can buy has become indeed the primary and secondary motive that behind everything that we do, consuming, acquiring, buying, this is what the American dream has become to me. Therefore, what is commonly understood as American dream has become the nightmare, has become the American nightmare for most of the family here in America. When it comes for them to think about number one, American dream, and it has been what? Owning their home, their house. In 1950, the average size square footage of home was about 1,000 square feet with one garage. The American dream then shifted from the 1950-60 home like that to home that was about 2,000 square feet in 1990 with a two-car garage. Today, the average home is about 2,500 square feet with three-car garage. And that's not even enough. Now that our homes almost three times as big as those were in the 60s and 50s, we still do not have enough room for all of our stuff. Therefore, one of the rapid growing industry of America is self-storage units. And last year, that industry offered us about 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space to store all the stuff that we cannot fit in our home. And it is now $38 billion worth industry. And I believe the reason the American dream has become a nightmare is because of being fueled by two distinct yet related illness. The first one is called Affluenza. You heard about that? Affluenza is defined as the blotted, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the zones 
It is also defined as an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the pursuit of the American dream. Simply put, it is the constant need for more and bigger and better stuff. David Ramsey, as many of you heard about him and have been listening to his lesson about finances, he once said in his financial workshop this, Americans' favorite recreation activity, in fact, the 70% of all Americans said this, what? Shopping? We love shopping. Shopping is number one in our recreational activities. And this has become American way of life. And what's even more, our economy now has been built upon this. Consumer spending has impacted, has become a very important factor on the stock market, our retirement market, and in all of our economy in general. Do you remember what our former president said in his speech after 9-11? He told us that one of the most important things that we can do as our patriotic duty was what? Go shopping more. Spending more, buy stuff, then it's going to show how strong we are and how strong our nation is. Now, every time I turn on the radio, every time I turn on the TV, people try to convince me and enticing me that I am not really happy with what I have. And that I need just a little bit more. Having more stuff is the key to acquire my happiness. They are really good at it, right? And as a result, in 2017, do you know how much they spent for the advertisements and commercials? There were approximately $205 billion that was spent for digital and traditional commercial and advertisement. Now, the other illness that goes along with this is called credit-itis. Credit itis. It is an opportunity for us to buy now and pay later, simply put. I have a great experience. This is my time of making confession. Now, many of you know that we bought a house this year, and when we are about to buy a house, we realize new house, we need a new furniture set. In fact, we've been married for 11 years, Amina and I, and I never have a Actually, I never bought any new furniture set for her once we got married because of all our studies came here in the United States. So this is the time that I'm going to buy those stuff for her. So we went to furniture store. We saw this great dining set and couch set and bed set was too expensive. So we bought only the bed and frame and a mattress. Of course, we couldn't afford it at the time because we put all our money on the down payment of 20% when we bought our house. But they were offering amazing, amazing this opportunity that we can have this. They were offering 60 months of the free interest, free down payment, and those you know, offer. And I thought, wow, that is a, such a great offer. At the time, I felt like I was actually getting those stuff for free. And here I am. I'm dealing with those consequences. That is called the credit-itis. That is called the credit-itis. 
It is a serious condition currently plaguing many Americans, and it feeds on our desire for instant gratification. Now, when some of you were kids, it didn't work that way, did it? In 70s, 80s, I came across and I researched this because I didn't leave at the time here. Um, what did we have? Instead of credit items, we had what is called layaway. How many of you actually heard about it and remember layaway? I didn't know until I, you know, study for this. We had what is called layaway. Remember when you were young and your mother took you to the store, having you try all winter coat or winter stuff at summer, in the season of summer, and any other expensive stuff for Christmas shopping, such as TV, all these big ones. In the summer, six months before, then your parents put the down payment to hold on those stuff and work hard to pay off, then they get it. They acquire them. The idea that you'd save up the money and make payments, then you can get it after you paid poor. That is the concept and idea of layaway. But not anymore, because we have now what? Credit cards. We've got this credit card. There are the things that you cannot do with the cash, you know that? But there are literally nothing that you cannot do with the credit card. I remember that. When I went to Canada for the first time about 15 years ago, I did not have any credit card. And it was extremely inconvenient for me to even open my cell phone account. They asked me to put $300 at the time in Canada to be able to, uh, to, be able to give me the cell phone because I do not have the credit card, no credit score at the time. Our economy today is built on this concept, concept of credit items. Buy now and pay later. Unfortunately, it has exploded our lack of self-discipline, and it has allowed us to feed our desire to spend more than what we can afford. It's been impacting hugely and badly on our personal national finances. Now, let's take a look at a couple of statistics, okay? Actually, a few statistics that I call this is happy time and fun statistics. Do you know average household that's carrying credit card debt in America in 1990? Do you know how much was that? That was around $3,000, and today it's nearly $15,000. One household carry the credit card debts of $15,000. Every student has credit card debts of 2300 those college students. And today, credit card companies started to offer what? 2% minimum payments. It wasn't 4 or 5% minimum payments like before anymore. Think about that. Assuming that you didn't use this credit card ever again, how long would it take to pay off that credit card debt? The one, this college student. Given... I'm sure it is around an over 20% of interest, and your six months of interest-free period is already gone, and it takes forever. It takes about, actually, 13 years to pay off that $2,300 of your credit card debt. Credit items is not limited to purchase that made, that's been made with credit cards. 
It extends to car loans and mortgages and other stuff. So car loan, let's take a look at it. Back in 1970, there were only two to three year car loan was standard and only provided. Not anymore, nowadays, you can have those car loans terms up to 60, 72, 84, and even 96 months long. 80 years. How many of you actually has, you know, your car more than five years? How many of you actually have kept your car more than five years? All right. Some of you, but not all of you. The problem with it, once you decide to change your car after five years, probably around, you know, the 80, 90, 100,000 miles on it, and now that you are buying a new car, this car loan company, they have another option to roll your principal and interest of those two years that left into your new car loan. Then you're buying your car more than what it actually, the price is. 105% and 110%. Think about the mortgage. Do you know the mortgage company, they have been offering surprisingly 40, 45 years term. And I thought they were only 30 years. But I discovered and, and I mean searched on Google and found out the 30, 40, 45, even 50 years term. Now what's the bigger and real problem? It's not about those mortgage terms. It is about home equity loan. Those home equity loan is a problem because the home, someone like us and you, is one of the largest single saving account. I received this uh, commercial car, you know, letter and mail and through my mail. Even I just been living there for six months. They sent me with this letter saying that you are qualified the congratulations for your home equity loan. According to them, this is what they said. You don't really need an appraisal. No closing cost. It is a fast cash. No need of proof of your income. So what that allows is that it allows to take all your equity, your money that you're saving, and what? Force you to spend stuff that you don't need. Stuff that otherwise you wouldn't even think about getting them. Okay, then lastly, I know we've been talking about this happy news. This is um, the last part of happy news. Problem of savings. In 1980s, Americans spent about 89% of their income. That means they had about 10% that they can save. But in 2015, that's not the case anymore. Approximately 62% of Americans, they have less than $1,000 in their saving accounts. And 21% don't even have a saving account. Some of you probably said, the pastor, that's not my case. Well, I've been paying all my credit card every month. And I've been really well managing my finances and my spending. I'm not in that category. Perhaps you're not that bad. But I'm going to ask you to just uh, review your credit card statement. Or especially end of the year, all those spending statements. When I did that for my tax purpose, I was shocked. Number one, I was shocked at the, the total amount of money that I spent to buy stuff. And that what's really shocking me more was I didn't even know that a lot of those stuff that I bought where they have gone. You see, 
We all struggle one level or another with these problems. Now, I believe the real problem is much deeper than what I just described. There's something that is not right inside of us that has to be addressed. And if we don't address that, we are missing the most important part. Bible says this in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. This is what the King Solomon said. The guy, the king that we know who lived in the world, who was the richest man ever lived on earth. The guy who had everything, wealth, power, you know, nation. He says this, the money itself, wealth itself is meaningless. We've got to really give him some credit and put that in our consideration. He says, if you wanted the money only, it will never give you contentment. If you only the wealth and the money that is the purpose and goal of your life, you will never be given satisfaction in your life. It is not about money because money itself is meaningless. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Apostle Paul was giving this advice to his disciple and his successor, Timothy. It says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Apostle Paul was telling Timothy, make sure, even though the money itself is not sin, but money can be the root of all kinds of evil, depends on how you deal with it. Money can be the root of all kinds of evil, depends on how you deal with it. I've seen a lot of people, some people who have this craving heart, the desiring heart for money only, they have started from the being faithfulness of God and being pierced and torn upon their life. Now they are dealing with so many griefs. That's what Apostle Paul said. What's the lesson that we can learn from these two scriptures? I believe the lesson is very clear, simple, straightforward. So this passage is actually telling us the deeper problem that we got to deal with is sin that is inside of our heart. Money itself is not sin, but the way we deal with can be sinful. That's why the Bible says so much about money. You know, the Bible says about 800 times. It is that the money and possession are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Do you know Jesus also talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. In fact, he talked more about money than anything else except the kingdom of God in the New Testament. 11 out of 39 parables that Jesus talked about money. In one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talked about money. Why? Because the money is the number one factor to distort our original image. We were created in the image of God. And if we live into that image, we wouldn't be yearning for stuff all the time. We would enjoy the simple pleasure of life. We would be generous and willing to share with the people who are in need. We were meant to find our security in God. But nowadays, because of our American dream, we find our security in our wealth. We're meant to love people but instead, we compete with them because of wealth and money. We were meant to enjoy the simple pleasures of life, but we busy ourselves with pursuing more money 
and more things. We're meant to be generous and to share with those in need. But instead, we selfishly hoard our resources for ourselves. There's something that is wrong inside of us. Then what is the solution? I believe the solution is simple. We need a heart changed. We need to have this renewing heart daily. Although we receive a changed heart when we accept Jesus Christ first, in a sense that we need a heart changed and renewing every morning. Each morning, we should get down on our knees and say, the Lord, help me to be the person that you want me to be today. Take away the desire that shouldn't be inside of me and help me to be single-minded in my focus and my pursuit of you. As we say this prayer and act on it, and I believe God comes and cleans us from inside out and purifying and changing our hearts. Now, this is a season of Thanksgiving, and this was also a time of the year for pumpkins. And I'm sure many of you really um, in carve and made these great pumpkins and decorate in front of your house. And if you think about pumpkins, and I began to think about what God does in our lives. When we go get pumpkins in the marketplace, you try to find the perfect one, but there are no perfect pumpkins. Every pumpkin has their own imperfections. But then you decide that you are going to take that imperfection and you're going to use them somehow in the design of your pumpkin. After you get the pumpkin home, do you remember the very first thing that you got to do to turn your pumpkin into this beautiful Jack O'Lantern? What is the first thing that you got to do? That's right. You got to open it up and you got to scoop out, take all this nasty, stinky stuff out that was inside. And I believe that that's what God has to do with us. He comes and takes all the greed to have more. He comes and takes all our envy that, that to others people, that what other people has. He comes and takes our rust to follow what this word has to offer. God scoops all out. He takes all out. That's what he does. And only when he has done that. He is able to begin to replace that nasty, stinky stuff with something else. And what he does is he put the light of our Lord Jesus Christ in us. So when others see us, instead of seeing all this spending, materialism, prosperity, all this are full of nasty and stinking stuff, they see the Christ and his light shining through us. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, live on simplicity, faithfulness, and generosity. Begin to look at the ways that you can make a difference with your time, talents, and resources. Pursuing good financial practices. If you do that, you free yourself from debt so that you can be able to be in mission to the world. I believe with the help of God. You and I can simplify our lives and silence the voice constantly telling us to get more, that we are not in content right now, we need more. Make sure to live counterculturally by living below, not living above of your means. Then building into your budget 
the money to buy with the cash instead of using the credit card a lot. Building into our budget what we need to live generously and faithfully. May the blessings of God and His Word as you apply them. In the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.